coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. Happy Monday and welcome to The Ron Show. I appreciate you tuning in, whether it's on the America One Radio app, americaoneradio.com, or wherever you podcast. It's a joy to have you here. Um, a little later in the show, in fact, the remainder of the show outside of the first segment today, I'm going to be hanging with my good friend, David Alexander. David is president, co-founder with American Haircuts. He is also that guy you've seen in that thing. Literally, he is an actor who has been in several TV shows and major motion pictures as well. And he's also one of the actors on strike. So I wanted to talk with him because he's not just an actor on strike, but he's also a business owner. So he can kind of maybe relate to both sides of a labor dispute, right? I thought he'd be a good person to help us get a sense of what's at stake with the Writers Guild strike and the SAG after strike as well. Not just for the writers and the actors, but for those on the periphery in the film industry in and around Atlanta and throughout the state of Georgia. So we'll talk to him in a few minutes, but first things first. I don't know about you, but my social media has been nothing for the last day and a half, but memes and jokes and articles and shared video of this brawl along the Alabama River in downtown Montgomery. Well, what's it all about? I'm going to read from the Montgomery Advertiser that reports that a fight captured on video by onlookers been reported that the fight began because a pontoon boat was blocking dock space needed to park a riverboat that has a permanent docking space there along the Alabama River in downtown Montgomery. That area, the regular spot reserved for the Harriet II riverboat. Montgomery police have said that there are four active warrants issued from the fight with a possibility of more after review of additional video. Last night, the Montgomery Police Department acted swiftly to detain several reckless individuals for attacking a man who was doing his job. That according to Montgomery Mayor Stephen L. Reed, actually. He said that Sunday in a release on social media, warrants have been signed and justice will be served. I will include the article from the Montgomery Advertiser in today's show notes at ronshowatl.com. It continues. One short video posted on social media by Josh Moon of the Alabama Political Reporter shows several white people fighting a single black man who, according to Jasmine Williams of WSFA, is a dock worker. The only audio heard is from witnesses yelling, but it appears to begin with an argument between the black man, allegedly, again, uh, an employee, a dock worker, and one of the white men. Another white man rushes and hits the black man who backs up and tosses his hat into the air. Then the fight begins in earnest, and several white people began hitting the black man. During the video, one witness, apparently watching from the riverboat, screamed repeatedly, Y'all help that brother, to onlookers who were on shore. It appears some people from the shore did join in to defend him. And the video shows at least one black man dive into the water from the riverboat. By the way, we have a little bit uh, of a story on that from the folks at the Young Turks. Let's give you that audio. The person who jumped in the water to help was identified as 16-year-old Aaron, who swam to aid his co-worker. A statement from the family publicist read in part from Aaron, it's what I was taught to do. He was labeled a cherished young hero who selflessly came to the rescue of a fellow colleague showing courage beyond his years. One man has been identified as Chase Shipman, owner of Vassar's Mini Mart, because, well, he identified himself on social media as being at the scene. Uh, 
Some users dug into Vassar's and found a photo that allegedly came from the store, which read of the backlash, I don't need you people's money. I prefer the superior white dollars. Thus, the reviews are pouring in. Back to the article on the Montgomery Advertiser, a separate video posted by Lauren Lauren, different spellings, uh, shows scenes after that as the Harriet 2, the riverboat, was preparing to dock. A group of people approached the pontoon boat and more fighting broke out. At least one person fell into the water from the dock. Authorities were soon on the scene and police began taking people into custody. Uh, The mayor of Montgomery again saying this was an unfortunate incident which never should have occurred as our police department investigates these intolerable actions. We should not become desensitized to violence of any kind in our community. Those who choose violence will be held accountable by our criminal justice system. I have a feeling this is one of those situations that's going to continue to create conversations from predictable positions on the left and the right along racial lines. It's just something, I guess, to put a pin in. Uh, Over the weekend, one of the Trump attorneys, well, one of the latest in the Donald Trump defense attorneys, John Laro, made the rounds to all the Sunday talk shows as folks are waiting and watching District Attorney Fonnie Willis here in Atlanta, Fulton County. I'm saying it's going to happen before a week from Friday. I, I do. I, I just think it, I, probably not this week because some of the folks are still uh, waiting out their 48-hour window to comply to subpoenas. But, yeah, I'm thinking somewhere between now and August 18th. Uh, anyway, uh, John Laro was on Meet the Press, and Chuck Todd asked him this. I want to get you to respond, though, to something that seems a bit more straightforward on uh, intent. It's the infamous phone call in Georgia. Let me play an excerpt. The ballots are corrupt, and you're going to find that they are, which is totally illegal. It's, it's, it's more illegal for you than it is for them, because you know what they did, and you're not reporting it. That's a, you know, that's a criminal, that's a criminal offense. All I want to do is this. I just want to find uh, 11,780 votes, which is one more that we have, because we won the state. If he had proof he won the state, why did he threaten the secretary of state with a criminal, uh, with with a with a criminal charge? That wasn't a threat at all. What he was asking for is is for Raffensperger to get to the truth. He believed that there were in excess of of ten thousand votes that were counted illegally, and what he was asking for is the secretary of state to act appropriately and find. Uh, these votes that were counted um, illegally. Uh, that was an asper. Hold on one second. That was an aspirational ask. Uh-huh. He's entitled to petition even state government, but that doesn't that doesn't involve an obstruction of federal government. But what the Biden administration has said is somehow President Trump obstructed a federal proceeding. That relates to what was going on in the states, and yeah. President Trump had every right to ask the Secretary of State. I believe that this election was conducted improperly. There are deficiencies here. I want to see if there are more than 10,000 votes or whatever the number was that were counted illegally. Once again, that's core political speech. I love the in today's AJC, by the way, uh, the jolt column. <laughs> they uh, asked some legal experts. You know who else asks people to commit crimes in an aspirational way without directing them to? This from Joyce Vance, a former federal prosecutor. Mob bosses, human traffickers, and the heads of organized 
drug rings. And because his base just continues to solidify beneath him, Donald Trump is almost daring Fonnie Willis for just one more indictment. He said this over the weekend at an Alabama GOP fundraising event. Every time they file an indictment, we go way up in the polls. We need one more indictment to close out this election. One more indictment, and this election is closed out. Nobody has even a chance. And as far as the GOP primary goes, yeah, he may be right. But I also have this belief that the 46% that aren't rallying behind Trump within the GOP primary, that there's at least enough within that 46% that are just so disgusted by him and his antics and his crimes, allegedly, that they're not going to show up for him. They'll just not vote. Or maybe they'll do some of that never Trump stuff and give one more vote to Biden. It's not like they've been harmed or the country as a whole has been harmed by the Biden presidency so far. The economy has not tanked. It's actually done pretty well, given the circumstances, better than most first world countries. Those GOP voters who can look without a partisan lens and see that the economy's actually doing well, the job situation is stable and going upwards, and inflation had been corralled and was actually not as bad as it was throughout the rest of the globe in the United States, might be more prone to say, you know what, four more years of Bidenomics and the Biden presidency won't be nearly as damaging to America's current and future than a return to Trump would be. Yeah, call me crazy, but I have enough faith in just enough of that 46% in the GOP primaries supporting anybody but Donald Trump that enough of them will do the right thing next election cycle. All right, so on to some other things. There seems to be a a little bit of concern with Brian Kemp as to whether or not Georgia is a purple state. He went to the 10th District GOP barbecue in Monroe and says, don't be complacent. Just because we won in 2022 doesn't mean we're going to win in 2024. But I'll tell you one thing. If we do to them again in 24, what we did to them with our statewide candidates, This whole talk about Georgia being a purple state will be over with. He then, of course, also said, we're also not the red state we were when Sonny Perdue got elected. We're not the red state we were when Nathan Deal got elected. But we are a red state that has conservative values with people who will stand up to fight for what we believe in. By the way, it's not actually his real voice. It's pretty good, though. And I'm going to read this from the jolt of the AJC as well. It seems that... Georgia is a state in play, and two people that believe that would be California Governor Gavin Newsom and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Uh, Politico's Playbook newsletter reported that the Pete State is the only mutually agreeable location for a possible debate between the two. I don't wanna, like, I think I, I, I've, I've heard some hints that there's like a, a little tacit permission for for Gavin to run a shadow campaign by the Biden administration. I don't. I mean, that's just. I, I, I don't, I'm trying to remember where I read that. I just remember reading that from somewhere and thinking, hmm, okay, maybe there is some reality within the Biden White House that Joe is of a certain age and you just never know. You need to have someone at the ready just in case. I don't know if that that's what this is, but for some reason, Gavin Newsom and Ron DeSantis are agreeing to debate each other with Sean Hannity moderating. Uh, anyway, so that's what this article says. The idea originated with Newsom 
when he challenged DeSantis to a mano a mano policy showdown moderated by Fox News' Sean Hannity. By the way, Newsom has been on Fox News with Sean Hannity and handled Hannity really well. Uh, DeSantis agreed to the concept last week during an appearance on Hannity's show with specifics to be worked out. Uh, the uh, Jolt reports one of the most important details would be the location, a neutral site that is neither too red nor too blue, a memo from the Newsom campaign named three states, including Georgia, which the California camp described as, quote, a true purple state that will represent both parties effectively. DeSantis, in turn, named his preferred states to debate with only Georgia and first in the nation, Iowa, on the list. Both camps said November 8 would work for them. All right. I don't know about y'all, but I love good TV and good movies. And I'm starting to get really scared that we're going to run out of both here pretty soon with both the writer strike and the actor strike. My good friend, David Alexander, local actor, also local business owner, in next to discuss both with me and their impacts here on The Ron Show. Stand by. Welcome back to The Ron Show for Monday. Another steamy day. We've got some storms coming through the metro Atlanta area, too. And, and from what I understand, they could get even severe. And the good news is it's after 10 p.m., so stay vigilant. I am really kind of thrilled to have my good friend, David Alexander, joins us. And he's one of those guys, and I've been telling him he needs to do a podcast with this sort of premise. He's one of those guys you've seen in a lot of stuff on television and in cinema. I've known him since Athens, Georgia. He used to cut my hair. I used to have hair, uh, and uh, we used to work together at a bar. We, I, I don't. We were door guys, right? Because I wasn't really a bouncer. I never really had the bouncer build. I like the bouncer term. Yeah, I know it sounds cool, but uh, I mean, I, but back then I was bald. Yeah, and I had the goatee and all. Yeah, that. yeah, you did have that that, yeah. that look about you. He he also is uh, one of the managing partners. What what is your official title with American Haircuts? Uh, co-founder and president. Well, there you go. I like that. Yeah, co-founder and president at American Haircuts. And we started that uh, almost twenty years ago with mm-hmm. the guy that owned the bar that you and I worked in. Greg yeah, Martin, so. good stuff. Yeah, yeah. I, I just helped him buy a house here a couple of months ago. I think nice. it has been. Uh, anyway, David, thanks for joining us. Uh, so I brought you in because you are a SAG after member. Yep. Yep. And with. The SAG after strike, now the writer strike before it, Hollywood and Atlanta Hollywood has kind of come to a grinding halt. Uh, that affects uh, a lot of folks. Yeah, naturally the writers, of course, and the actors. But give us a little idea of like the ripple effect, the other sort of jobs that are affected by these strikes right now. Oh, there are just hundreds of people uh, in Atlanta right now that are out of work because of this. Uh, so I feel, you know. Terrible for the people on crew, the hairstylist, makeup artist, directors, camera people, uh, electricians, uh, grips, mm. catering. Uh, I mean, there are just hundreds of people that work on film sets. Uh, I know my agent is uh, they're currently just kind of doing a lot of non-union stuff. So they're they're hurting too. casting directors. So it is a huge ripple effect, not to mention all the businesses that provide goods and services to the film industry. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, it's massive. And I know you're running for a SAG after office, and I think there's like, you said, 12 slots in Metro Atlanta, or is yeah. it Georgia or Metro Atlanta that, uh, Atlanta. that the Atlanta filled? Level, yeah. So uh, with, without getting you in trouble for talking much about that and campaigning, et cetera, and so on, um, are, are you aware just how, when you talk about all those jobs, are you aware like how many of those, how many people are impacted just in a general sense, like a, a, just a round number? Uh, yeah, it would be hard to put an exact figure on that, but in Georgia, thousands upon thousands. Wow. And as a real estate agent, I happen to think that it's going to have effect, if it doesn't already, on the housing market. Because from a housing standpoint, you have people who are here 
and have been here long-term uh, working in the industry who now are impacted economically and not sure they're going to be able to stay here even and may put their house on the market. We've had a, a shortage of housing uh, in Metro Atlanta over the years, but also the rental income uh, owner who owns an Airbnb, yes. a lot of people short you know, short-term rent out, you know, uh, condos and townhomes and homes throughout Metro Atlanta, and they're going to be impacted by this too. Yeah. Um, go ahead. Well, yeah, and I feel I feel bad uh, for the people who are a crew because, like, actors, we, you know, we don't work a lot throughout the year. I think last year I worked about six different jobs and mm-hmm. and did pretty well uh, for that. But most actors and writers have jobs that support us through the lean times when we're we're not acting. But because a lot of people on crews go from set to set to set, they're Mm -hmm. working a lot more consistently when we are. So a lot of those folks don't have side hustles and side hustles they can rely on. So so it's tough. And I'm hoping that the whole thing ends quickly. Well, what are you hearing about that? It's not going to end quickly. <laughs> I mean, there's not even a discussion going on right now, right? Isn't there some sort no. of like pause in the communication? Well, the uh, the WGA, which is the Writers uh, Guild, and uh, the AMPTP uh, decided to meet last Friday to have a meeting to talk about having their meetings, uh, oh. talk about resuming talks, and that fell apart. So talks are now currently off, and they're saying that it's on hold probably indefinitely. So we could see this drag off. Uh, until 2024, unfortunately. So. Do you know what the general sense is with the public as far as like who who, the, who they support? You know, I think uh, you know the public tends to be, I believe, on our side uh-huh. uh, because they see the corporate greed that goes on to where you've got like you know the Tim Cook from Apple raking in billions of dollars and 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 Bob Iger from Disney raking in billions of dollars and making more money per day mm. than most actors see in a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And we're the ones, writers and actors and crew, are the ones creating the content that they're getting wealthy off of. Mm-hmm. And and people see that with, with Amazon and other huge companies like that. And I think the public is getting a little tired of such a huge wage disparity between those at the top and those who are actually doing the work, creating the products and the goods. So I think by and large, they, they are on our side, but now there are also a lot of people that think, uh, you know, I had a a friend on Facebook comment, uh, after we went on strike, something to the effect of, oh, well, it's just more Hollywood elite trying to get richer and squeeze more money out of us. And, you know, so I posted something to, to kind of break down and be very transparent about what actors make. And I took an example of a job that I worked and broke down the exact figures. But before I did that, I had people guess how much I made for my uh, work on the episode of, of television. People mm-hmm. guessed like $18,000 and $8,000. Oh you know, some $500. You know, it's, it's all over the place. But a lot yeah. of people think that we're way more uh, well-paid than we are. Right. Uh, and the reality is we're not. There's, you know, you got your Matt Damons and, and your Meryl Streeps and all those people at the very top that are in the 0.02% of, yep. of actors. But most of us, to break it down, um, to qualify for sag health insurance, you have to make just a little over $26,000 a year as an actor. Okay. Uh, 87% of people in our union don't qualify for health insurance. Wow. 
So there's not a lot of rich people in, in, in entertainment. And most of us don't become actors or, or artists because we're looking to get rich. Uh, it'd be nice. Mm-hmm. I'd love to live that lifestyle for a, for a while and see how, it's, how it is. But most of us do it for the love of the craft, and, and we like to tell stories and create art, and that's why we do it. But it's not unreasonable to think that at some point, because entertainment and art is such a huge part of our society mm-hmm. um, and our, our culture— that it's not unrealistic, I think, for artists to to be able to expect to at least make a decent living mm-hmm. doing what we do. Uh, you know, we don't need to be Bob Iger, but we would like to be able to pay the mortgage and 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 have a pay the car and and take the family on vacation to Florida once a year. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's yeah. it's not that we're asking for a lot. There's a lot that makes you unique to this conversation that I want to get to. We're going to take a quick break. Headlines at America One Radio and AmericaOneRadio.com in just a few minutes. Wherever you podcast, you're listening to The Ron Show. We appreciate that. We're with David Alexander, local actor and president and co-founder of American Haircuts. Did I get that right? Yep. All right. We're back after this on The Ron Show. On the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com or wherever you podcast. This is The Ron Show on America One Radio. All right. Welcome back. My guest today, David Alexander, local actor, president, co-founder at American Haircuts. If you're thinking, oh, I've gotten my hair cut there before, say thank you. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) Keep going back. Uh, The actors are on strike. The writers are on strike. And I reached out to Dave because I felt like he had a really good handle on what this strike is all about, uh, how it impacts Folks that we may think are just raking in the money, but the reality is quite the opposite. For you said like 87% of those in SAG-AFTRA who can't even afford uh, to qualify for the health insurance. 26 grand was the salary, right? That was Yeah, the, yeah just the over twenty. I think it's 26400 I don't know the exact figure off the top of my head. So one of the reasons I thought you were uh, someone that would be worth talking to is for, for a couple of reasons. Well, you are also a business owner, as we pointed out, for American Haircuts. Uh, you have also worked, as I did, in the radio industry. Yeah. And I watched this all taking place with the writers and the actors, and I keep thinking, you know what? If the radio industry had ever had this kind of reckoning, yeah. radio might still be relevant in society because <laughs> you, as you talked about, making a living, being able to take the family on vacation, that's not a thing in radio broadcasting anymore, by and large. Yeah, I, you know, I was in radio for about ten years and uh, and got out of it because I was tired of having roommates and, and making yeah. you know, like, yeah. God, I can't remember what the last my last salary in radio was, but it was probably like eight bucks an hour or something mm-hmm. ridiculous like that. And uh, it, yeah, it's, it's hard to make a living in that. And it, yeah, I think radio would be better off if they had uni- unionized. Uh, I mean, actors and, and writers and other artists aren't really well off, but because of the strength of the union, uh, we have fought for over the past several decades, uh, better wages and better working conditions and mm-hmm. all that, which you know, radio hasn't uh, hasn't really done at all. And again, the 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 industry is is a shrinking, dying industry without much in the way of local staffing anymore. I mean, even in Atlanta, we have two pop stations. Uh, one of which has a syndicated morning show based out of Atlanta, but it's not really part of the station. Yeah. And then they syndicate a lot of the rest of the day. And the other pop station doesn't have a local morning show at all. They repurpose something out of Seattle from the day before or the show before. And then have a couple of local talents and then a lot of stringers just kind of going out there hustling and hitting the streets. That is not what a radio station like we came up to yeah. listen to or even initially worked in was like. 
Yeah, I remember, you know, of course, I'm, I'm dating myself a little bit here. Uh, like when I was on radio, we, were, we still had vinyl records yeah. and, and carts and CDs. And, I, you know, I, I get the itch every now and then to get back into it. And I, I guess it was about 10 years ago, I went and did a, a like an on-air trial for a, one of the big pop stations uh-huh. here in town. And literally, I was sitting in a, in a, in a room with a computer, yeah. doing all the mixing and playing all the commercials and telling me kind of what to say and when to say it. Yeah. Like, well, if I want to just sit in, in a room and listen to music for four hours <laughs> and make nothing, yeah. you know, I can do that and just at stay home. at home. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, yeah, there, a lot of the creativity and and, and spontaneity and, and stuff that I used to love about radio is completely gone. Yeah. Well, they want you to blog and uh, social media your tail off and, you know, to attract an audience back to their product without necessarily paying you for drawing in all that audience. Yeah. You know, it's that's the sad truth about uh, what radio is like. So uh, also as a business owner, I, I just thought it would be interesting to hear from somebody who kind of understands both sides of the coin when it comes to the argument about, uh, labor and wages versus ownership. Yeah, we also see headlines where uh, you know Netflix uh, companies like Netflix uh, they'll they'll report uh, report earnings losses sometimes or find themselves raising fees. I mean, my Netflix got to be so expensive it was almost like having cable. I was like, I just, yeah. I just cut it off. But uh, for those who are on the outside looking in, how how much more money is there, and can it be done without the consumer? having to pay additional fees if you guys, you know, get what you're looking for. Well, and here's a lot of the problem now with the streaming services like Netflix and Hulu and Apple TV Plus is that they don't release any numbers. So it's very Mm. hard to tell how much money's there, how many Mm. people are even watching the services, Mm. which is one of the big things where... The SAG after is fighting with uh, with yeah. There's uh, no rating service, is there? Yeah, there's no rating service, so nobody really knows if these people are profitable or not. But I will say, as a business owner, um, I am responsible for my employees, and mm-hmm. I'm responsible to make sure that they make a good living so they can provide for their families and they can stay with us. Well, it's good for your business. Yeah, and if if like you know Bob Iger from Disney, I keep bringing him up uh, because he <laughs> he said that he thought that that our strike was disturbing. Um, I bet it is. <laughs> if if I own a business, before I pour mouth about not being able to pay my employees more, I pay myself less. Yeah, and and I think there's a lot of stuff that could be done within the industry if it's not profitable that would allow them to be more profitable, and also pay their 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 people well, especially the ones that are creating content. Uh-huh. You know, I don't think we need. CEOs making, you know, four hundred million dollars a year. I don't yeah. think we need some A-list actors making seventy-five thousand dollars for a picture. Mm-hmm. Granted, they do get a lot of eyeballs to the product and, and to come to the theater. You know, wait, wait, wait! Numbers. You meant seventy-five million a picture, right? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. Just, just making sure, because <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, if Matt Damon's going to do a seventy-five thousand dollar flick, I've got a script for him. Come on down. <laughs> yeah. So I think maybe work for a little bit less. Yeah. And, and I can't say anything negative about Matt Damon because they have a, a new production company they've started that produced the film. Um, oh shoot! It was one about Michael Jordan. Air. Oh yeah. And the concept that they've got with their production company is that they, uh, everybody works, and depending on how profitable the, the project is, everybody also shares in that. Nice. Which is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, and that's, I think, that's the way to do it. And hopefully the industry is moving toward more models like, mm-hmm. like that. I can't remember the name of the well, production company. But there's also like a, crowd, there's a, like a crowdsourcing sort of yeah. uh, production, right? 
yeah. the company yeah. that does that. Yeah. Uh, now, you can probably enlighten me on this because I'm a little confused. There is actually stuff that is still getting done that doesn't fall under SAG-AFTRA or uh, the Writers Guild. Yeah. Purview, well, there, right? there are some independent projects that are being done now that are uh, not a part of the, not associated in any way with AMPTP, mm -hmm. uh, which is the, the associated pr producers. Okay. Um, and, but typically those projects are, are more indie small budget things. And it's really hard to make a living off of those kind of, kind of things. Uh, and now there are some bigger budget things that have, um, signed, uh, not waivers, uh, interim agreements with, with SAG-AFTRA that basically, bounds them to the terms of what we're looking for in the new contract, uh, which is cool because it shows that there are productions that believe that they can afford to pay us what we want and to give mm -hmm. us the terms we want mm -hmm. and still make a viable, profitable product. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm hoping this continues to, to set the example for how it can be done. Mm. So let's go through... Real quick, because uh, I, I want to let people know where they've seen you. Yeah, they may not recognize you by voice. Although you have you done voice work? Uh, you know I can't you the book. Pipes, a, you can do it. I can't vo book a voiceover gig to save my life. Huh. <laughs> and I spent uh, you know a decade in radio and have done thousands of commercials <laughs> for, for free for back reason. then. Yeah, yeah. But then you know, like uh, I'm an actor, and I yeah, you know, I like to think I'm a good actor. But if you put me in a studio and stick a microphone in my face, suddenly my voice goes to do this. You know, yeah, like yeah. like we used to back in the '90s when yeah. everybody was puking. Right. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about some of the things you have been in, though, so that folks will go, "Oh, okay, I know that guy." Uh, I think I'm prohibited by uh, you know laws and whatnot to play clips and whatnot. Yeah. So I'll just have to say, I like the first thing I always remember you you did uh, House of Cards. Yeah, this this cool scene in House of Cards where what what were, what was that role that you did? It was kind of like a, a concierge or something like that. Well, now here's where it gets tricky uh, because SAG-AFTRA is currently on strike. You can't even. I'm not allowed to talk about any of my projects. Oh my god, past. Oh my god, because that would be promoting. Yeah, uh, and and I don't want to piss off the nanny. We yeah. don't want to make the nanny mad. No, I get that. Uh, okay, but. But yes, if you if you go on to IMDb or just Google David there Alexander, there you go. Actor, yeah, we'll, we'll just let we'll let folks sense. do that. There's just you've been on a lot of stuff. Yeah, I've which worked is, on some of the biggest shows out there right yeah. now. Just which is which is why I've I've said this to you before. Now that you see how your setup is, by yeah. the way, uh, you should do your own podcast, you know, and just call it something like "Oh, that guy in that thing," and <laughs> and yeah. then have other people who were that guy in that thing or that girl in that thing, yeah. and just talk about some of this behind the scenes stuff that we're talking about now. You know, some of the realities of being, uh, you know, in in the film or, or television industry. Yeah, because there's a lot of stuff that people just aren't aware. Like, you know, one thing that I always remember from from being like just in background of a. I think it was a Lifetime Christmas movie. Yeah. They shot that crap in July. It was hot as hell in Natchitoches, <laughs> yeah. Louisiana. And we didn't see Delta Burke, but, uh, you know, because she was in that air-conditioned RV around the corner. But to shoot, like, a 30-second scene can be an all-day thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. And now here we are walking around with iPhones thinking we can just do something just as easily yeah. in a lot less time. Yeah, there's people don't realize just how much goes into, into creating just a minute of, of a TV show. Or a film. I mean, you'll do, uh, like you said, a 30 second scene may take eight hours to film because <laughs> all the lighting has to be just right, all the sound has to be just right. Mm -hmm. And when they're filming, they'll do what they call a wide shot, which kind of gets the, the actor's dialogue doing their thing from a, a wide 
you know, area yeah. far back. And then they'll do the mid shot and then they'll do the close up shot. Yeah. And that's usually looking, the camera's looking over one actor's shoulder to the other actor. And then they turn it all around and do that all completely again. So you may have three or four takes of the, the wide, the mid, and the close up. Uh-huh. Uh, so it can, you know, it can run into to 10, 15, 20, 30 takes. Uh, and I worked on something with, uh, with Ron Howard and he takes a, he does a lot of takes, uh-huh. a lot of takes. And at one point I thought, uh, I was carrying a, a tray of, of wine. Uh-huh. Uh, and at one thought I thought he was going to put a camera in the wine glass and look up at me from the, oh. we, we did so many takes. It was, it was, uh, unreal. Um, but it looks beautiful on, on camera. So. Uh-huh. So yeah, there's a lot that goes into it. So for someone like you, where this is not your primary hustle, though, and there are uh, again a lot of folks in a lot of things that we've seen on uh, you know major carriers or in the theaters or on the networks. Uh, what what kind of money do you make for something like that, where you're not a regular? Yeah, uh, usually if if you're just like uh, what they call a day player, or uh, in Atlanta we get a lot of what they call co-star roles, and okay. and a co-star is somebody. You know, like I'll be a, a news anchor on a right. TV show, or I'm a detective that comes and takes, you know, some information or, or serves somebody a glass of wine or what have you. Yeah. And something typically for that, for a major network, uh, you'll get paid a little over $1,000 for the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, if there is overtime, you get more overtime. And there's a little stipend for wardrobe fittings and all that. Mm. Uh, but that's essentially it. Uh, you will get residuals, which is, you know, say so you've got a, a procedural show on on NBC mm-hmm. and you your session fee the initial fee is you know your day of work and includes the first airing of that show okay uh so when the show airs again in reruns mm-hmm. you get another little bit of money and when it goes on DVD you get more money and when it goes on Netflix you get a little more money and residuals are, are the, the are what keep a lot of actors afloat between mm-hmm. gigs mm-hmm. and one of the things we're fighting for as a union now is because Netflix and Hulu and Apple TV Plus and all the streamers, they operate under a, a different set of guidelines. So there's not as much residual payment from those services. Mm. Because when, when Netflix and the other services were kind of in their infancy, the unions agreed to work for less residuals because nobody knew if Netflix at the time was going to work. Yeah. Uh, at the time, we well, referred to it as new media. And now it's. They were emailing DV or mailing DVDs to us, yeah. too. I mean. <laughs> yeah. But like, so the online streaming stuff, once we've, once it, it doesn't matter, we don't know how many times it's people are streaming it, you know, yeah. and, and we don't get really anything for that unless they sell it off to uh, cable or, mm-hmm. or something that else. Yeah. So, uh, so that's one of the big things in the contract we're looking for now is we need to, there needs to be transparency in, in what is popular and what's not on the streaming services and actors and writers should be paid based on the performance of those shows. Okay. Okay. And so to give us an idea, as we mentioned before, for, for, for the vast majority of the folks that are in the acting industry, you're not getting rich off of this. These residuals are not like these whopper checks that come in. Oh, no. No. <laughs> I mean, there are some nice checks. I mean, you you might work a, a week on a movie and make, you know, $15,000 or something, mm-hmm. uh, and, and you'll get a, a residual check at some point for maybe 10000 Oh. But then... As and that's rare though. I Is mean, that like DVD sales or? Yeah, yeah. Okay, it, it gets sold to streaming or, okay. or DVD or what have you. All right. Uh, but typically, those residuals decline quite considerably mm-hmm. after time because there's just fewer and fewer mm-hmm. new places to to sell that product to. Mm-hmm. Okay, real quick, we got about ninety seconds before we take a break again. 
Is there a fear that some of these services might go under? Yeah, I mean, that's always a, a, a fear. But, you know, that based on the popularity of them, you know, I think they can adapt to their business models to to for longevity and profitability. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's still relatively new stuff. So mm-hmm. we're, we're figuring it out. But I, I don't fear that at this point. Yeah, you don't. this doesn't feel like a dot-com bubble. Yeah, no. Forthcoming, anything no. like that. All right. We hope not. All right, we're with David Alexander. i uh, got a few more minutes. We're going to take a quick break and come back and close with him as we discuss the uh, WGA, the Writers Guild strike, and the SAG after strike as well. And, of course, we all know how that's impacting uh, Atlanta uh, economically and perhaps even in the housing market. Back with him in just a few minutes on America One Radio, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Final segment of The Ron Show. And I want to thank my friend David Alexander for joining us. He is the president co-founder at American Haircuts here in Metro Atlanta. How many locations you got? Uh, we've got six. All right. And are you scouting new locations? Yeah. Uh, we're always looking for new stuff. Good yeah. deal. He's also uh, an actor, and that kind of tells you a lot about the acting industry. There aren't a whole lot of people who are just making killer mad money. That's all that they do. And there's always the joke about, oh, you know, if you go to a restaurant in LA, your server is probably an actor, right? I mean, yeah. there's, there's a lot of that side hustle going on. It's getting to be about like that in Atlanta too. Yeah. So yeah, you're absolutely right. So we were talking about the SAG after strike, the writer strike. And here's a question I have. How long before we run out of stuff to watch? Cause I feel like I'm going through some stuff and it's like, oh, I enjoyed silo, but is there going to be another season of silo? Do I even bother finishing some of this stuff? Because I'm, I feel like a lot of these shows are going to die if, this doesn't get settled soon. Yeah, well, uh, you know, now that like the WGA and SAG-AFTRA are both on strike, there's not mm. really anything that can be done. Uh, when the writers went on strike, some production was still going on because a lot of the stuff was already written and just mm. needed to be shot. Uh, but yeah, we could see a lighter schedule this fall. Mm. I think 2024 is really going to to be uh, affected more greatly than the rest of this year. Mm. You know, because a lot of the stuff like Netflix will film a season of a show and then they release it the following okay. following year. So we may see a slowdown of some of that stuff. I just can't watch Judge Steve Harvey. Another these reality shows are just the bane of my existence. It's, I had I had COVID a uh, week before last and pretty de- bad case of it. So it, it I had had me on the couch for most yeah. of the week, and it made me realize just how sad daytime television oh my god yeah i mean all the reality shows are just uh, ridiculous absolutely um, and a lot of that happened because of the last writer's strike mm-hmm. is when you saw the the rise of reality because all the studios had to figure out how figure to out, fill yeah. space but was I'm, that was that when trump ascended <laughs> so we're gonna, gonna blame y'all for that because yeah. i mean look what, look what you did god i mean what could happen uh does this actually affect things like animated t- uh tv and movies as well uh it, it, well, if it's any, any scripted content that's uh-huh. written by writers, uh, yes, okay. or anything that's voiced by actors, yes, okay. it would, right. would affect that. And I'm, I'm hoping it won't last long. It, it scares me when we hear studio executives saying stuff like, you know, in regards to the writer strike, they were just going to await us out and 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 until we stop losing our homes and, and apartments, Damn. and then they have to come back and and work. But what they don't realize is that, all, like all of us have side hustles, yeah. So we can ride this out yeah. as long as we need to. That's if you're right. a writer or an actor, most of us can. Uh, it's the 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 crew and casting that directors sucks. and the directors that really uh, it sucks for for them. But yeah, I see this. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm 
I'm normally a really optimistic person, mm. but I'm not really optimistic about how long this is going to go on. So I went to an AI symposium last week uh, for uh, my real estate venture, and it made me think about this scenario too, because because AI is kind of a big sticking point with you guys, right? It is, yeah. Are, are they? Is it true that like they want to be able to film or even record for voice work, record your likeness, and somewhere deep in what you're signing to to waiver yourself, they have the opportunity to hang on to that that stuff to use later on. Yeah, right now we, there's not a, a lot of firm language in the contracts that prohibits them from doing that. But like when SAG after was was negotiating with the AMTP, AM, AMPTP, mm-hmm. um, one of the the sticking points obviously it was was the use of AI, and the the producers wanted to actually have the ability in the contract to scan a background actor's image and use it in perpetuity. Oh, hell Without no. any oh. additional pay for whatever project they wanted. Yeah. Uh, and some of that already goes on now if you look at, like if you're in a big crowd scene at a, at a ballpark or something like that, they'll have a couple hundred extras there and they're yeah. shooting and, and pointing the camera wherever the extras happen to be. Well, I know that they sometimes will like, I, whatever the ter- the term for photoshopping is, yeah, and, and, but they'll do that. Yeah. Stamp it in and yeah. fill the stadium. And right. that, that I think is a reasonable use of, sure. of AI. But, but yeah, we need to make sure there are protections in there that keep studios from using our likeness and our, our voice in perpetuity. I mean, if they, if they want to use us again in something, fine. It needs to be with our consent, and you need to pay us again for it. Do you also think there's the threat of them just creating people out of nothing? I see a TV commercial occasionally that is completely AI-generated. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think there's a... a AI is ever going to replace actors and writers because what makes a great TV show or movie great and what makes it successful is because we, as humans, we watch it and we connect mm-hmm. to the the material. We connect to the actors on the screen. We connect with the writing. And AI doesn't have that human touch. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's it anything that AI creates is going to, to feel hollow and it's going to feel fake and it's not going to have the humanity in it that we require to, to connect with characters. Uh, so I don't, I don't think it's ever going to replace actors or writers. Uh, I could see it supplementing uh, and maybe allowing the studios to do, you know, crank out a script uh, using AI and then have real humans come in and add humanity to it. And, you know, I well, don't think that's not an ideal thing. But. No, but, it, you know, that, that came up in the symposium that I went to last week. It was all about content creation for, for realtors and, yeah. <laughs> and real estate agents. And, and my thought on that was, well, well, great. I mean, it's good to be on the forefront of that. But eventually when everybody's doing it, aren't we all going to be just sharing the same stuff that got, you know, whipped out of thin air? Yeah. That well, some, and something Googled and put together. AI, it's such a gray area because AI can only do what it's taught to do. Yeah. So anything that, that AI writes or any kind of film or actor performance it would produce is doing that based on work that a human has already, already done. Already done. Uh, well, that so, brings up another residual question, doesn't it? Yeah, and, and, and copyright issues, and there's just all kinds of murky waters yeah. with the whole AI thing. And, and now is the time for us to figure out those issues before we move forward. So how are you filling your time? I mean, obviously you have your job job, but I mean, it, do you find yourself going... You know, I got no, this itch. I, I want to do something. I, I run American Haircuts, and you know, I, I still cut hair on a, a, a weekly basis, and I still love that and enjoy that. And uh, and yeah, I'm uh, I'm reading more. I'm uh, relaxing a lot more than, than I have. I you know, I haven't had an audition in months. Uh, 
and I and I miss that greatly. Uh, but yeah, it's gonna you know sometimes a little break is not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. All right. David Alexander, SAG after actor, president, co-founder, of American Haircuts. Hopefully this wraps pretty soon because I'm still waiting on the handmaid's too. <laughs> Thanks for hanging out with me. I appreciate it. Thanks for having. Me. All right. Back tomorrow, five to six on American One Radio or wherever you podcast.